Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm the senior pastor here at LifePoint Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like a little more information about our church, check out lpchurch.us. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, LifePoint. All right, it's good to see you all here today. Hey, we are beginning a brand new series, Navigating a Turnaround. And I don't know if you've ever been this person where you're traveling somewhere and it's not unusual for you to realize, wait a minute, I am going the wrong direction. I don't know if you're that way. I will admit, if this were like one of those anonymous meetings, I would say, my name is Mark and I am directionally challenged because that is me. So I'm one of those people that my wife, she just, you know, she's, she's good at that. She'll say, we'll be pulling out the driveway. She'll say, hey, we're going to Dallas. And I'll say, great, which way do we go? And she'll go, well, you want to jump on the tollway? You want to jump on press? And I go, no, no, no. Right here at the driveway, do we go right or do we go left, right? How many of you would admit, like me, you are directionally challenged? Good, I'm amongst friends. All right. How many of you are, you feel superior to us right now? Yeah, good. <laughs> I love it. I have a theory. In fact, if I were doing marriage counseling for anyone right now, the first question I would ask is, is there someone who's found in this group? We got a lost person, yes, but do we have a found person? I am convinced God always puts a lost and found together. Otherwise, you would be in trouble. I don't go anywhere without my phone using the GPS because it is the only way I wouldn't be in trouble. But I am always finding myself needing a turnaround. Now let's talk big picture. In your life and in mine, we all have times when we need a turnaround. Times when maybe you feel lost when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel like uh, you know, you're discouraged or maybe you're disappointed and you get to that place where you think, how do I get out of this? How do I, and maybe you're here today and you feel kind of alone. I just wanna give you some really good news. If that's you in any area of your life that you feel like could be better, should be better and you need to turn around, you're not alone. You're amongst friends because we all have those seasons and most of us are probably in that season in some area of our life. I love this quote by Nelson Mandela where he just simply says, the greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. I don't know about you, but I wish life were more linear, smoother, more predictable, like a four-lane road that I knew what I was getting into. But instead, life looks a lot more like this, doesn't it? It's like all the ups and downs, all the things I didn't expect. I never thought this week would look like this. I never thought my life in this season would be like this. This was completely unexpected. And so some of you are in a storm. Some of you are headed toward a storm. And I want to kick off with this question. What do you do when it dawns on you that you're going the wrong direction? Maybe you're going the wrong direction in your career. Maybe you're going the wrong direction in some of the choices you're making in your life right now. Maybe you're going the wrong direction in, in your health, in your finances, in your marriage, in some of, in maybe your thought pattern, and maybe you're some of your, maybe in your attitude, but maybe there's some area where you would recognize, hey, if I were to really come clean, there's some areas I know I'm going the wrong direction. Well, what do you do when it dawns on you that you're going the wrong direction? I just wanna tell you, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, we're so grateful that you're here. And this series and this topic applies across the board. These are universal principles that will help us navigate the turnarounds we all crave and desire. So with that said, as we unpack this series, we're actually gonna unpack an ancient story 
for the next few weeks. And this ancient story teaches us how to navigate a turnaround. And I want to show this mural to you. It's a mural of a picture in, uh, on a wall in a monastery in Greece. And this picture depicts the book or the story we're going to look at in Scripture today. Does anybody have a guess of what it is? Yeah, you can say it out loud. You're right. Say it. Jonah and the whale. That is a vicious looking whale, isn't it? I don't know about the Grecian history, but they love to make those wells look vicious, intimidating, scary. This is a great picture. And the thing you may not know about the story of Jonah and the well is it's very controversial. This is one of those books where skeptics will try and disprove the credibility of the Bible using this story. Scientists will say, well, it's humanly impossible for a man to survive in the belly of a well for three days. And in fact, some people would say, Bible scholars, some Bible scholars say, well, it wasn't intended to be an actual historical event. It was a metaphor that we can learn truths from. And in reality, there are a lot of metaphors we do learn truths from. That's one side of the aisle, so to speak. We learn a lot of truths from metaphors. In fact, have you ever, how many of you have ever heard of this one? Slow and steady wins the race. You ever heard of that one? Slow and steady wins the race? Yeah. I suspect we all believe this is true, meaning steady, faithful, time in the same direction. We're going to get where we want to go. We believe that that is true. But none of us believe there was an actual tortoise and hare that ran a race and the tortoise actually won, right? Because we learn from metaphors. We can learn things that are actually true from metaphors. So there's one side of the aisle that is controversial for that reason. And then there's another side of the aisle where conservative scholars would say, no, this was an actual historical event that took place. In fact, some of us, me included, may have grown up in churches where the pastor simply said, look, I not only believe that the whale swallowed Jonah, but I believe if the Bible said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I would believe it, right? And so there's both sides of the aisle. What I want us to focus on, though, is whether you land on the historical or metaphorical side of this book or this story, we don't want to miss the point The point of the story is what is essential. It is teaching us something about God, and it is teaching us something about how to navigate a turnaround. It's a perfect book that applies to our life, and it is extremely relevant. And so if you're new to this story, I want to give you just a little background of the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, which is a fascinating short four-chapter book, if you don't know it, the Bible is not a book. The Bible is a library or a collection of books made up of many different genres. And as you can see from this graphic, there's about four different genres in the New Testament, five in, or in, the, in the Old Testament, five in the New. And Jonah is placed in the prophetic books. So you see Jonah down here. It's one of 17. But what's unique about Jonah is, unlike all the other 16 prophetic books, Jonah, the story is about him. It's about the prophet. Whereas all other 16, it's the prophet speaking. Usually it's a message or a warning. But in this case, it's actually a story about Jonah. It has a unique place in Scripture. And so when we read the Bible, we want to understand the genre. We want to understand the literary form. Now let me give you the quick theme of the book of Jonah, and then we're going to dive right in because the theme is really critical. You're going to see it show up over and over again. It's a cycle. First, God tells Jonah to do something. And believe it or not, Jonah rebels. He says, nope. And then there's turmoil. And then Jonah becomes desperate for God to fix it as he obeys. And then God tells Jonah to do something. And Jonah says, nope. 
And here we go around and around we go. All throughout the book of Jonah. Here's what I think. This is not only Jonah's cycle. For a lot of us, if we're honest, we could replace the name Jonah with our name. And that is often the cycle we go through too, isn't it? If we're honest, this is a lot of our stories as this has been the cycle in some seasons of our life. And you might even be there now. You might find yourself in turmoil today. You might find yourself in the storm today. And you might need a turnaround. And Jonah is going to teach us exactly how to find it. So let's pick up the story. Let's begin in the beginning. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, as we learn some principles that are relevant for us today. Verse 1 begins. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, God just told Jonah to do something. Now we're going to see Jonah rebel. We're going to see the cycle right out of the gate. In fact, read these next four words with me of verse 3. Say it with me. But Jonah ran away. Here we go. God told him to do something, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish, which by the way, don't get that confused if you're familiar with Tarsus, with Paul in the New Testament. This is a very different city. Tarshish, Jonah went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound to that port that was headed to Tarshish. And after paying the fare, he went aboard this boat and he sailed for Tarshish. Why? To flee from the Lord. He's rebelling. He's going against what God said. Look, What's really interesting, and this is so important to the story, this isn't one of those stories where it's like, oh, he accidentally made a wrong turn. He was supposed to go left, and he went right, and he went a couple blocks, and he could have fixed it. Like it was a mistake, an accident. No, this is a very deliberate decision. In fact, this map helps display how deliberate this decision was. He was supposed to go 550 miles to Nineveh. He went 2,500 miles. He's headed 2,500 miles to Tarshish. This wasn't like a oops accident my bad I made a wrong turn this is very deliberate this is the complete opposite to give you kind of a lay of the land we have Israel here he was going to go down to Joppa instead of going up to Nineveh and he's going to take the port through past Greece past Italy all the way to Spain southern Spain to Tarshish he was way it's like if I said would you go over to Texarkana and go yes I went to Los Angeles that's not a wrong turn that's like a deliberate I'm not doing it and that's exactly what we see Jonah do. He is trying at all cost to avoid Nineveh. He does not want to go there. Why is he so desperate to avoid Nineveh? And I think there's two primary reasons Jonah refuses to go to Nineveh. Number one, this is actually enemy territory from the perspective of someone in Israel. This is a major city, Nineveh, in the Assyrian Empire, This has been 8th century B.C. This was a city, this empire would often invade Israel. They would actually take people captive. They would destroy towns. And to go there, there's no way. It would be the most unpatriotic thing to do. It would be like somebody asking you to go and evangelize Al-Qaeda. And you would be like, why would I do that? That's the most dangerous and, frankly, unpatriotic thing I could do. This was what Jonah was facing. He didn't want to go. He would have been considered patriotic to not go to Nineveh. And so he's refusing to go, one, because it would have gone against his national identity. Here's the problem. God told him to go to Nineveh. And the problem is Jonah did what all of us are tempted to do from time to time, and that is to prioritize his national identity over being a follower of Jesus. 
he was sort of flying the wrong flag at the top. And I just want to give a quick warning, if I can, here, 2024, as we enter into this political season, that we as followers of Jesus would be followers of Jesus above everything else and everyone else in our conversations, in our heart, guarding our minds, and so forth. Because we don't want to be headed for Tarshish when we're supposed to be going to Nineveh. But I think something deeper is going on. One, there's a national identity challenge. There's, a, there's a, a natural enemy. But number two, and I think this is really important, going to Nineveh for Jonah would have been very difficult because something would have had to change in him in order for him to go and live amongst these people because inwardly, he hated these people, like most people in that region would have. They knew people who had died at their hands. It was very easy to despise these people. And to go to Nineveh would have required something to change in him, for him to evaluate, oh, there's something greater than the hurt I've experienced. There's something greater than the love that the love of God could give me. That would have required an internal change in Jonah's life. And I just want to tell you what you know is true, and this is what Jonah teaches us. It is easier to rebel against God than it is to change myself. And sometimes we see in the story of Jonah over and over, God is asking him to do something that would require change, and he rebels against God because it's easier to rebel against God than it is to change myself. And sometimes we rebel simply because who likes change, right? I don't want to have to change, and sometimes it's hard change that God asks of us and sometimes we just don't want to deal with it or we don't want others to see it. There's something I'm struggling with internally. There's something in my heart that's going on I don't like. Maybe it's a fear of abandonment, a fear of intimacy, a fear of, uh, of rejection. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's just I've gotten a comfortable pattern I'm in and I don't want it disrupted. But sometimes we will refuse to go to our Nineveh where God wants us to go and we will build a life that enables us to avoid it and we miss out on what God has planned for us. If, for example, if you have a fear of intimacy, you might build a life around it and say, I'm never going to join a group. I am never going to open up in a conversation. I'm going to build my life around avoiding the thing I know God wants me to do. You struggle with depression, and maybe you slap a smile on, and you, when you're around people, but when you're all alone and you're behind closed doors, you embrace the darkness, but you don't want anybody to help. You don't want anybody else to know. And you avoid the healing that could come from letting someone in. Maybe you, you live in arrogance and you're kind of in that place. You don't want to do anything that might humble you. And you avoid the change that we all need and that God might be inviting you to. In this story, here's what we know. God had a very special purpose for Jonah. But he rebelled because he refused to change. And I know all of us know this. All these years later, that's still a struggle for the human condition, isn't it? We just don't like that. And sometimes, Jonah teaches us, we'll go the complete opposite direction just to avoid the change that God is inviting us into. So here's a personal question for you. What's your Nineveh? The thing you know deep down God is calling you to, you, the thing you know deep down you should do or you shouldn't do, the thing you know God has in your future for you that would be better for you and others, the thing he is drawing you to, has been drawing you to, and you have found ways to build your life around not going there and not doing that. See, Jonah's story begins like all of our stories begin, 
when we run from where God wants us, when we refuse to go where God is calling us, it's usually not just one decision, it's a series of decisions. And that was the case with Jonah. Jonah had kind of a downward spiral. In fact, first, Jonah's downward spiral begins when he went down to Joppa. And then he went down below the boat deck. And then he went down internally into hiding and keeping secrets. He didn't want anybody. we got this bold prophet who's down there quietly hiding. He just kind of keeps going, one decision after another, leading down this wrong direction. And then about that time, there arose this violent storm, the Bible says. And the sailors are literally throwing off cargo off of the boat to try and lessen the weight. Meanwhile, Jonah's below the deck in a deep sleep. While chaos is around him, instead of going where God wants him, he's headed the opposite direction. Chaos, he's down there. He's not only down below uh, the deck, he's actually sound asleep. Like, what is going on? He's not like he just woke up and found himself there. How did he get here? He got there the same way we get in that condition in our life. It's one bad decision after another, step by step. We find ourselves on a downward spiral. And before long, we've gone further than we ever intended to go. And it's going to cost us more than we ever intended to pay. And Jonah is in that place because of a series of bad decisions. And let me just be really personal and ask you something. Sometimes this begins with, I know what I should do, but I'm going to do what I want to do. I know what God is calling me toward, but I'm going to do what I prefer doing. What I don't want to do is that, so what I'm going to do is this, and then I'm going to build a life that justifies it. And step by step, we eventually find ourselves in a place we never thought we'd be. But it doesn't just happen suddenly. It's not like you step on the scale one morning and you go, how did I gain 25 pounds? Yesterday it was different. No, you know, step by step. It's not like you walk to the mailbox, you get the credit card statement, you go, how did I get $50,000 in credit card debt? It didn't just happen overnight, did it? Step by step. It's not like you end up in somebody's house with someone else and you're ready to have an affair. And you think, how did I get here? Step by step. A series of bad decisions leading you on a downward spiral. We need a turnaround. Jonah needed a turnaround. And he's about to get it because he's about to have a confrontation with the ship's captain confronts him face to face look at it in verse six it says the captain went to him and said say these next four words with me how can you sleep don't you love that how can you sleep it's one thing to say that to your teenager when it's like saturday morning at 10 o'clock it's another thing when you say it to a prophet when the ship's going down and everybody's under chaos and he's in a deep sleep and the ship's captain comes up and says how can you sleep get up What are you doing? What are you thinking? Then he says, and he reveals something that's going on. He says, get up and call on your God, because that's what we're all doing. We're all calling on our different gods. But maybe your God will take notice of us so that we do not perish. This is a life or death situation. We are desperate. You should not be sleeping. Do you see what everybody else sees? And this is the best step that we can take. When we're in the middle of a storm, when we're in the middle of a place that maybe we've behaved ourselves into, when there's a part of our life that we don't like the way that part of our life is going, may we have someone confront us and maybe it's best if we just let the Holy Spirit be that one that says wake up, to see what everybody else sees, to see what the Lord sees ultimately. 
It's interesting is at this point, nobody knows that it's Jonah's fault because look at verse seven. It says, then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. This is kind of a primitive version of drawing straws and Jonah's the guilty one. So he realizes he's caught and I almost picture him at this point almost in Eeyore's voice responding because he's like barely awake. He's really not wanting to be there. He's ashamed of what he's done. He's got to be embarrassed, and he answers, yeah, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made this violent sea and the God of dry land. And I can't help but think that those sailors said, whoa, 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 wait, what, did I just hear you right? You're telling me that you worship the God of the sea, and you're dumb enough to tick him off? And then to get into a boat, and not any boat, but our boat, this is your doing? What are you thinking? And then you're down there asleep? What's your title? Oh, I'm a prophet of God. Like, you know, it's hard to process what they must have been thinking. Look at verse 10. And so this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord. Isn't that fascinating? They knew he was going the wrong direction. God told you to do something, and you, instead of going to Texarkana, you went to Los Angeles. We know it's your doing because you are rebelling against God. Everybody could see it except Jonah because he had already told them the story. So look at verse 12 because this is when it gets real, and this is when it gets real in our life too. The sea gets rougher. They ask Jonah, they're like, hey, what do we do? How do we calm the sea? And Jonah, almost like a line from a tragic play, he goes, you know what? Just pick me up and throw me into the sea. And then it'll become calm. Because I know that, and you got to say these four words with me, it is my fault. All right, you got to say it like you're not ashamed of it. It's it's not talking about you. This is Jonah, the I is the my right now, okay? Say it out loud with me. It is. You're still ashamed to say it. It isn't you, it's Jonah. Say it out loud with me. It is Those are the four hardest words in the English language. It is my fault. It is my, it's hard to even say. You knew it was Jonah's fault and you still didn't want to say it. It is my fault. Look what he says. This great storm has come upon you and it is my fault. Listen. This past week, I was reminded that I am, I, am, I am human, right? I am right there. It is not, I don't like to say those four words either. This past week, Thursday morning, I got a speeding ticket. For, don't judge me. I'm just, I'm like, this is confession is good for the soul. I was going, I was in a, a, our neighborhood. I was going 35 and a 25. No, 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 34. Thank you, 34 and a 25. That's important to me. So, it wasn't a school zone, it wasn't construction, it wasn't anything like that. I thought the speed limit was 30. Frankly, I thought I was going 30. Officer said otherwise. So I get pulled over. Here's my first reaction to the speeding thing. By the way, he did not give me a warning. He gave me a ticket. I'm not bitter, but I just tell you that. So the first reaction that I had was, I'm pretty sure the speed limit was 30, not 25. And then my second reaction was, I'm pretty sure I was going 30, not 34. I think your gun might be broken. And then my third reaction was, my small group jinxed me. Let me tell you what happened. 
Wednesday night we had small group, and our small group leader got pulled over speeding on the way to group. Something's in the water, I guess. But he didn't get a ticket, he got a warning. And then we began to talk about, when was the last time you had a ticket? And I was able to, you know, like, with arrogance, think, it's been 30 years since I've got, it literally has been 30 years since I've got, and the very next morning, I get pulled over and get a ticket. But the whole time, you know what I was thinking? It's somebody else's fault. I had a hard time going, it is my fault. It is me who is guilty. I don't know about you, but when something happens, the initial response is somebody else, some others are 100% to blame. I am 100% innocent. I don't ever say that, but I can point out who, well, yeah, but you got to know. It's always right. Anybody who's going through something difficulty, we, we always respond with, well, yeah, but I got these things, I got these extenuating circumstances. And that is true. It isn't as if those things don't matter. But what we have a hard time doing is owning our part of the problem. To say there is some part that I've got to own. There's some part I got to step. I was the one whose foot was on that gas as it was going down the road, right? It is my fault. I don't like those four words and neither do you. But I wonder if we could navigate the turnaround better if we embrace these four words. So say it one more time with me, but say it loudly. I don't want to have to have you repeat it. You know it. Say it with me. It. You guys are awesome. I'm glad it really is y'all's fault. So I just wanted to point that out. Say, listen, I also know that some of you may be here, and you're here and you're thinking, hey, there's something in my life that's completely a mess. It's a big deal, and I'm overwhelmed by it. And you might even be here, and whatever you brought into this room, you may bring it in, and you may feel completely alone right now. And I just want you to know, I have prayed that you would be here today. And I believe it's God's providence and kindness that brought you here today. And he loves you, and he is inviting you to a turnaround. And I just want to, as gently as I know how to say, it is time for your turnaround. And God's grace and power is more than enough to see that redemption story in your life. And he is inviting you to that beautiful place. You see, it turns out you want to do it before the storm takes you out, or it takes someone out that you love. And that's about what almost happened in this story. Because as the story goes forward, instead of throwing Jonah overboard, they actually tried to row back thinking maybe we can get back without having to do something so dramatic. But unfortunately, the sea just grew wilder and it became very apparent that wasn't an option. And so they're feeling guilty for what they're about to do. In verse 14 it says, So then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And here's the moment of truth, verse 15. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. And suddenly they realized what he said was true. He did serve and follow the God of the sea, of the land of the world and their response is powerful look at verse 16 at this the calming of the sea the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him this is almost like their come to Jesus moment this is a conversion of sorts they're saying our God didn't calm the sea but Jonah's God did he must serve the God of gods 
and they began to worship him and they made vows to him. So back to our original question. What about you? What do you do when it dawns on you that you're going the wrong direction? And can I just give you this the simplest way I know how to say it? This is what it took for Jonah and it will take for us. The very first step is simply to wake up and own up to our part of the problem. To wake up and to own up. You might need a ship captain to come and wake you up. You might just need to look in the mirror and have an honest conversation. You might need to talk with someone that you love to help you wake up. But to wake up and to stop trying to hide the secrets. And then to own up and say those four words. It is my, or at least part of it is my fault. So, who can you tell? How can you come out of hiding with that part of your life that you wish was different, that you know you have something to own? What is it that you need to wake up to? What do you need to wake up to? And I bet in the last few minutes, something has come to mind in your life that God has a way of sort of prompting us and revealing to us, this is the area I invite you to begin to address. I'll never forget, I've shared part of this story before. I had a friend 10 years ago whose name was Matt and he was a teacher and a coach and his wife Leslie, they were in our couple's small group with Ginger and I and he called me and wanted to meet for coffee and so we met for coffee at Pete's Coffee in Ventura, California. And as Matt sat across the table from me, Matt said, I've lost my family. And I was completely confused. I said, how'd you lose your family? He said, well, I've had an emotional affair with another woman. And my wife, Leslie, has found out, and she's mad. I have two, he has two sons. He goes, and both my boys won't talk to me. They're mad. I think it's over. The problem was, it wasn't what, what he said wasn't what surprised me. It was how he said it that surprised me. Because he felt like he was almost arrogant, uh, kind of a flat effect, kind of, hardness to in the way he was talking and, and emotional, emotionless and almost numb. It was almost like he was still asleep. He was still hiding. He was still regretting. And he wasn't in any way owning it. So even though I felt like he was sorry he got caught more than he was sorry, I asked him if he would be willing to meet again. And so the next week we met again for coffee and this time he was a different person. He was very humble. He was desperate and he was very ready to do whatever it took. He talked faster. He was leaning in and he was trying to figure out how do I save my family? And I knew what had happened is he woke up. He woke up, but I knew he also now needed to own up to what he had done. And so we had a conversation between him and Leslie and we talked about would you be willing? And they said yes. And so as they went to group the next time, Matt owned up in front of the whole group all, you know, some of his behaviors and some of his struggle and, and some of the journey he had been going down, kind of secretly going down this road. And we were able to surround him and pray over both of them. And then in the months ahead, they were going to counseling regularly. They had a lot of support in their lives. Our group was just a piece of that. But they were really trying to restore, and eventually they did restore their family. They restored their marriage. He restored his relationship with his sons. It was a beautiful story of redemption that only, I believe, God can write it was a beautiful story that all took place back in 2014. And last year, Matt died unexpectedly at the age of 53. 
And as tragic as that was, his wife and two boys got to witness front row seats to a modern day Jonah story in their dad and her husband. He, he led Bible studies, they led Bible studies together. It was just a beautiful story. But initially he was a man who was running in the wrong direction and he initially hid like most of us will be tempted to do. And he desperately needed a turnaround in his life. He needed to wake up and to own up, and he did. And that was a scary step for Matt. But his story became a story of redemption. And forever his life for me will be a great story that reminds me it's never too late for a turnaround. And I don't know what you're dealing with, but I'll promise you this, if there's something in your life that needs to change, I guarantee you, you feel just as scared as Matt did to think about coming clean and to opening up about what's going on in your life. But the truth is, what Matt and Leslie would have shared is what many in this room would share and many around the world who've taken this step. It is scary, but it will be worth it in the end. It'll be the best step you can take. You can't imagine the beautiful things God has on the other side of your coming clean, of your waking up and owning up to the part of the story that you've contributed to. But I just gotta tell you, you gotta find somebody. You gotta talk to a trusted friend. Maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's a counselor, maybe it's somebody in your small group. You gotta find somebody that you can trust, that you can open up, that will walk with you through this turnaround. So let me be real personal now. In what area of your life do you need to wake up? Others might see it, but you're trying to avoid it. In what area of your life do you need to wake up? And who can you tell? Who can you confess this to? Who can you open up to? Who can you confide in? A trusted friend. And then secondly, are you willing to own up to your part of the problem. It is extreme cases, and there are some, where it is 100% someone else's fault. In most cases, we have something to own. What part of the problem, and are you willing to own it? And if you're here, I just want to say, if you don't follow Jesus currently, here's the really good news that Jonah reminds us of. There is a God who deeply loves you and will do anything to navigate your turnaround. The source and power of your turnaround comes from Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who came from heaven and died on a cross not just to accomplish something that was dramatic so there could be a religion. He came because he so loved you, he so loved people, that he gave his life on Calvary's cross where it says he demonstrated his love for you. He didn't come to introduce rules. He came to introduce a love for you. And then he was buried three days there, clearly declaring that he had died. And three days later, God miraculously rose him from the dead. It is the greatest turnaround story in history. He is the author of the turnaround story. He is the power for a turnaround story. If you feel hopeless, you're in the right place to get there and to say, God, I need you. Maybe you've taken the cycle around just like Jonah did, and you're at the place where you're desperate again. The beautiful thing is God always welcomes with open arms 
when you come to the altar, when you come to him, he is ready to receive you and he is ready to transform you. And if that's you today, after the service, we're gonna have people in behind this curtain here in the back who would love, love, love to pray with you. I'll be out in the lobby. I would love, if you'll come up to me and say, hey, I wanna learn more about the turnaround. I would love to pray with you. And for all of us here today, I wanna do this as we close, do something a little bit different. And I just wrote this prayer for us to say out loud together. Would you all stand with me? And let's say this prayer together as we close. My invitation is for you to make this your prayer. With whatever needs to change in your life, and we'll pick up the story, just gets more uh, dramatic as we go through it. But today I just want to stop here and let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say it with me. God, help me to see exactly what needs to change in my life. Help me to own to the part I have played. With you, all things are possible. I'm never too far, and it's never too late for a turnaround. Renew within me a fresh purpose and direction today. Father, thank you for the power that only you can give. God, for those who are here today who are in desperate need of a turnaround, may they know it's never too late. God, I pray that we would take steps to trust you more. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.